Hawk Talk is brought to you in part by the Monmouth Medical Center and RWJ Barnabas Health Facility and a recognized leader in patient safety and clinical quality. For more information about services close to you, visit rwjbh.org slash Monmouth. Let's be healthy together. You're listening to Hawk Talk, the official podcast of Monmouth University Athletics. And here are your hosts, Greg Viscomi and Gary Kowal. Here we are, Gary. Missed last week. We don't like missing, but um, sometimes you just, you know. Extenuating circumstances. Yeah, stuff gets in the way. Working, Easter, usually working. Um, but here we are, episode number 49 approaching a milestone <laughs> getting closer to getting closer to uh to number 50 which we have an all-star guest lined up for um but excited because we want we were supposed to do this interview last week which would have been a little more timely uh but still timely people it, are still in it's it's still way timely um because uh and then we'll explain why in a minute because we are headed down to the championship next weekend uh, in the sport of men's golf, women's golf, I believe, left yesterday mm-hmm. uh, for their championship, which is in South Carolina. A um, little bit different than, than playing down in Disney. Uh, but we'll talk with uh, our today's guest, which is, of course, um, former PGA golfer and current Monmouth University head golf coach, uh, Bill Britton. Coach, thank you for taking time to, uh, to, to spend a little bit of time with Gary and I. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Greg. So we, we were just, the whole idea was to have you on last week because of the Masters. Um, people who don't know, which I don't know if there is anybody who don't know, because as soon as I talk to anybody who knows anything about golf in this area, and I'm talking about our wide receivers coach, <laughs> I'm talking about random guys over at Tee to Green, one of our sponsors, uh, the first thing they bring up is Bill Britton and Masters. <laughs> it's like the first thing they bring up. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's awesome. I'm a golf fan. Uh, but to me, he's our golf coach and I see him in the hallway and we, you know, we chat about that, but, um, what did you think about, uh, the masters last weekend came down to last day? Uh, I think people, John Rahm is somebody that people like in general. Um, what did you think about the play and, and playing through that crazy weather? Yeah, I think, I didn't get to see a whole lot of it, but I did get to see, um, prior to the last round and Kepka, I think he had a four shot lead, I think. When they resumed, and obviously he was playing terrific golf. Like I said, I didn't see it, but to have a four-shot lead anywhere, you got to be playing terrific golf. But, of course, it's with the rain delay, it's got to be really difficult for anyone to maintain that level that he had at that point. Um, I would have liked to have seen what happened between him and, and Rom in those ensuing holes, but um, obviously Rom's been him and... Uh, I guess Spieth's been playing really good, and Roy McIlroy, it's been like he's been right up there at the top three recently, uh, recently being the last couple of years. So he's been playing terrific golf, so not a surprise to see him win. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Gary, I know you were locked into yeah, it. Yeah, I love the Masters. In, in fact, we spent some time together on Easter evening, which we can get into later. But um, Yes, I love professional golf. Yeah, you were just locked in. I love golf. Standing in a parking garage watching the, the last hour of it. Uh, what did you think? Uh, I thought it was great end to the tournament. Um, 
I thought I think John Rahm is the best player in the world right now. I think he deserved to win. Um, I would love to dive into some master stuff with Coach as we get on in the episode, but I do want to talk some Mammoth golf. We had a, a oh, big yeah, win last absolutely. week also. Um, but I would I would love to dive into some some Augusta and some stuff like that with, with Coach Britton. But I thought it was a really good um, tournament. I'm obviously biased um, against guys like Kepka. Um but but that's a personal preference. I, I haven't <laughs> met anybody yet who isn't like anybody. I haven't met anyone who who's like, oh yeah, I love live golf. Like no, it's <laughs> it's. Uh, I'm not a fan. But um, sport washing. Yeah, just, just awful. Google it. Just awful. This it's, isn't this isn't a political show. No, I. I this is a mom. I don't for any of those for any of those guys. Um, Phil Mickelson finished in second place. If he was not on live, it would be a huge major story yeah. that everybody would be impressed by because he's in his fifties. And um, and kind of came out of nowhere. Had a shot sixty five on Sunday, it's unbelievable. But uh, I think people are kind of out on Phil because of what he what he did and how he flipped. So yeah, he took the money and ran. Um, coach, I think uh, I would like to get into a little bit of Mammoth stuff. Um, your fourth season here, um, coaching at Mammoth. Uh, last week was was kind of special. Picked up a, a tournament win. Um, what was that like? T- take me through that. Uh, that evening, and when did you realize you guys were going to win? Was it was it at some point on the course, or was it when you totaled up the scores? Take me through that. Well, that's a good question. And I thought this why that I thought this interview was last week because of that big win of ours. Um, but actually, I had, I had to leave a little bit early to get in to do the scoring. So you know, I'm, I was sitting at the scores desk, just taking taking the cards, and I did not see Ethan Lee's card. Somebody else handled that, so I had no idea. That he had, I knew he was playing well, but I had no idea he was going to shoot 66. So probably everybody knew besides me, because I went <laughs> back to the scoreboard, and everybody else was looking at the scoreboard. Um, so really, it was when all the scores were posted that I realized, um, and I was very pleasantly surprised. That's got to be a cool moment for 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 you as a coach, right? It's like a culmination of all the work you've put in over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it's the first. Tournament we've won since I've been here, so that was really nice, and it's you know nicer to me for the kids because they're the ones that are doing the work and they're the ones that are playing in forty-three degree weather temperature with the wind howling throughout the spring. Um, we did get to go to Florida a couple of times, but a lot of the golf we play in the springtime is difficult for all the teams up here, and. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to see them rewarded, and, and I hope it helps them believe in themselves a little bit more like I believe in them because I have a lot of faith in them and their ability. And um, hopefully, you know, I think anytime you win anything or, or have a good round or a good tournament, it's a confidence booster. So um, I hope it has been for them, and I think it has been. How impressive is it? Um, obviously, to our listeners, you know, tournament golf is way different than your everyday round with your your buddies playing right. eighteen. Um, how impressive is it for a kid like Ethan, who's a, f- a true freshman, um, you know, eighteen, nineteen years old, first year in college, to go out in a tournament setting and shoot sixty six? How impressive is that to you as a coach? And do you is that something you saw from him in his first year? Well, it was was a very impressive round of golf, and by far the best round of golf we've seen this year. Um, five under par on a good golf course. Uh, it, it was a nice day. It was the first nice day we've had this spring, but the wind was up a little bit, and the greens were recently aerated, so they were in pretty good shape, but still it was 
it was a difficult day, and he won by two, and the next low score was three shots higher at 71. So, obviously, it was an outstanding round. Um, was I surprised? Not really. I, I think, well, I know that Ethan in the fall played very well in our qualifiers, didn't play as well in the tournaments as I suspected he would. But the first one we played this spring in Florida, he, he played well down there. And, um, uh, you know, you know, watching them and watching him on a daily basis, I'm not surprised because he hits virtually nothing but good golf shots. And he's a good putter and a good chipper, and he has a great attitude and disposition on the golf course. So I expect more of that from him and the other guys as well. Uh, that's a pretty good ringing endorsement from your coach. Hits nothing but almost nothing but good golf shots. That's amazing. Um, but but that's a really bright spot to this program, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what it's like when you guys get down uh, down south next week in, in the CAA because there's some really good golf teams uh, and, and teams that can play all year round. I think that's something like you kind of touched on it, Gary, that people don't really realize is that when, when now we're in the CAA, we're competing against teams that can play golf probably all but maybe one month out of the year. I mean, in Charleston, probably can play all year round. I mean, yeah. it doesn't get much colder than 50. I mean, plenty of people are playing golf in that. So um, what, what are the challenges there? And I, and I brought them up already, not just because they're a sponsor, but uh, the indoor facility tee to green that, that we've been using, um, how beneficial was that uh, for you guys? Well, tee to green is great. The golf cave is also a great facility. Tee to green, all, uh, you know, has the, um, the technology, has eight hitting bays there, and but more importantly, it has the, a, a very big putting green and chipping area. So we have access to that pretty much around the clock or, you know, during the day. Right. Um, so that's a great benefit. And the, and the technology, you know, the fact of the matter is it's useful. You know, I don't think you want to live on a track man or any, any of the machines, but they're very useful. It gives you information that, no one knew prior to that technology coming about, you know, right. we would hit a, when we didn't hit good golf shots, we didn't really know why, you know, but now we do know why. And it's, it's a tremendous asset to have. Um, Probably something you wish you had back in your, your playing days, right? Yeah. I think everybody, you know, I mean, you know, Ben Hogan's line was that you had to dig it out of the dirt and you did because you didn't know why it was going where you, where you were trying to hit it, but they just had to do it through trial and error, right. you know? And, and the technology helps. It's great, but you still have to put in, you got to hit the balls, you know, there's yeah, no, you got to put the hours in. Yeah. You can't because you have the technology doesn't allow you to skip. Hitting. <laughs> right. Uh, when you were, you know, and Gary and I will touch on your, obviously your fantastic playing career, but I don't think people realize, and, and somebody had mentioned it to me actually at Tita Green about how many you know shots some professional golfers have taken in their life daily. How many, you know, how many balls are you hitting a day when when you're a professional golfer for yourself out there? Well, for me, I I don't know that I could give you a number. I, I could give you a number when I was in high school because me and my two buddies, we you know. Used to pra I'm from Staten Island. We practiced at a public golf course. It wasn't a range. It was it was a field, right? You know, um, next to the golf course. So we had we had like 300 golf balls. We would end up hitting about 300 balls each a day back then. When I was playing on tour, um, I would spend as I got a little bit older and was married. I would spend four days a week, 
four hours a day when I was home and I was off. So that was, that was kind of taking a break from the road because when I was on the road, it would be, you know, hopefully when you're making the cut at six days a week and uh, maybe seven, but it would be pretty much um, Tuesday would be all day golf, you know, eight to five. Uh, Monday would most likely be that. Wednesday would take a little bit easy. And Thursday, you know, you would play. Thursday through Sunday, you'd play. And I'd practice at least an hour afterwards. It would be rare that um, myself or the other guys on tour would not practice after round of golf. <laughs> right. So even you're going out and playing a full 18 holes under the pressure, hoping to make the cut. And then you're like, all right, I got to go. I got to go practice some more, even though I'm playing another 18 tomorrow, most likely. Yeah, and part of it might be just kind of a wind down after playing, kind of a stress reliever. But um, I did see when Scotty Scheffler won the Players' Championship, he was he was hitting balls into dark. Now, you know, with today's there's so much coverage today, you get to see this sort of thing, and that's that would be common for a guy that's playing late in the day, right? He's he's gonna they're gonna do something after the round. It'd be very rare for them not to do something after a round of golf. Right, and the coverage, you're right. Now, you know, the, there's a golf channel <laughs> where literally you can watch anything. Yeah. I mean, they cover awesome. every tour. Well, almost every tour. <laughs> <laughs> they cover many of the tour, most of the tours. Uh, and, and you're getting that extra access to see these guys. It's not like, hey, I just, you know, I finished up at 18. Now let me go crack open a Bud Light and kick my feet up until tomorrow morning. <laughs> I'm sure there's uh, some guys that do that too. Yeah, I mean, well, John Daly, I don't know, is he on the, uh, I don't know which tour he's on. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like, it's not just a go out there and 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 play on Thursday and hope you make it kind of through deal. And, and I'm sure that's the same way it is for our student athletes, right? They have to practice every day uh, along with going to school um, and then – you know, are there days where you guys are able to go and hit balls and then go out uh, on the course and they have to go to school too? I mean, that's a that's a full day commitment. Yeah, that's typical. Like today, today is going to be a typical day. We'll meet, we'll practice from three to six, and some of those days it's playing golf. So, like yesterday was qualifying for the next tournament, so we'll be playing nine holes on some of those days, and then other days we just practice for the three hours. Some of them, you know, have, have to leave early for class or right. they're a little late for class. But. How much adjustment has it taken for you? I know you were you were a rookie coach coming in here, um, but every golfer has their own routine, right? Has their own, like you just said, you like to go out after a round maybe and, and wind down or, or so be it. How much um, does it take for you to kind of figure out what each individual guy likes to do and what works for each guy and, and whether it's similar to what you did, how if you can maybe correlate what you did to them, or maybe they're totally different. They they want to be done with the round and go home or, or something like that. How has it been for you to kind of relate to guys and find out everybody's individual routine? Yeah, I'm very respectful of how people go about playing golf, and our guys are good golfers. So they've played golf for a long time before I came into the picture. So um, I feel like in golf, and I'm sure this would be for any activity, you know, the one of the last things you'd want would be confusion. You know, there's a, most golfers have enough going on in their head between what the their playing partners might have to say to them, their teammates might have to say, other people, their, their teacher might have to say. So I've taken very much a backseat until just recently in terms of technique and, and how to go, to go about things. It's, it's taken me, I would say, about 
this long, almost four years, we're um, being a little more um, adamant about how we go about how each of us, there's certain things we each need to do. Right, just giving a leash, but making sure it's not too long, kind of, as yeah. an analogy. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, they're college students. <laughs> college students, and, and, and you know, and, and that's not different with any team, right? Every single coach, if you walked up and down these hallways and talked to all 20 of our coaches, they would tell you that they have different levels of commitment. And, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. There might be, you know, I was out at football practice this morning, and it's a warm day out. They practiced. They were they actually cut it short a little bit, or Coach Callahan had it short a little bit. But afterwards, there were six kids out there hitting bags, doing drills, like just still getting the work in. So there are always going to be some of those student athletes who are going to put in extra time, uh, just because that's you know what, what they're kind of into. And yeah. I think learning to manage those different. Uh, personalities and different drives and everything has got to be one of the hardest parts uh, I would think of coaching. Well, I'm learning that so much of this job is people management. You know, the golf is definitely a part of it, but but yeah, we're a team and we, we need to be a team and there's a lot that goes into it. I'm trying to learn. I feel like I said I was a rookie coach four years ago. I still feel like a rookie. I mean, there's so much, so many different things different questions that come to me, um, even though I've been in golf my whole life, but there's just different stuff that comes up being in this role as a coach, although I, I really enjoy it a lot. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, we have an athletic department here that's had a lot of success, right, and a lot of successful coaches. Um, and I've seen you just, you know, in the hallways, just talking to, to guys and Kevin Callahan or Rick Callahan or King Rice, uh, you know, Dean Ehalt, um, your colleagues um, here at Monmouth. How much... Have you been able to kind of pick their brains as far as like, hey, hey, Dean, hey, Coach Callahan, you've been a coach for 30 plus years. Um, you know, what can you use from those conversations and how much have you leaned on those guys as, as a, you know, like you said, a, a coach that's only been doing this for a couple of years, um, how much they've helped you? Yeah, they've definitely helped. I would I would like to, um, if they had more free time, I'd love to lean on them a lot, lot more um, mm -hmm. because... There's no doubt I have a lot to learn as a coach, and I have a lot of respect for everybody here, and I, I love talking coaching. Like as a golfer, I never really loved talking golf. I love playing it, but, but coaching is just, um, it's like a whole new world to me. I'm, I'm actually taking a coaching class, and I just love, there's so much to learn. I mean, people, everybody does it differently, but there's certain kind of core fundamentals, I think, in the end, but... Um, I've got a lot to learn, and I, I, I uh, have learned quite a bit from some of our coaches and enjoy it. I think that Coach Britton is in a kind of a, a different situation than, than a, tr a lot of traditional, I want to say non-golf coaches because a lot of coaches, you know, they play their sport, they get done, they go right into coaching, they work their way, their way all the way up well. Coach Britton goes, plays his sport, gets on the tour, plays on the tour, then becomes head of an you know an instructor, you know PGA instructor, um, uh, locally in Colts Neck, um, and now you know comes in as a coach and it's like okay, he's got the credentials. Obviously, he knows how to teach golf because he's been doing it for you know a decade, uh, 
But then there's all these other kind of little things that you probably never even think of. And and I've t- we've talked with coaches that have been even assistant coaches in college and then get elevated to the top job and they're like, wow, I thought I was ready for this. And then I didn't even realize that there are 50 things that I never even thought about that the head coach was doing. Uh, and I'm sure there's a couple of those things that have popped up over the last four years. Like, oh, I didn't even think I had to do that because, you know, you don't think of those things until you're in that seat. Yeah, Gary could attest to some of that. <laughs> there have been some things. Um, yeah, like I said, I feel like a rookie. And my first two years were really half years due to COVID. Right, COVID. So last year was my first full year. This is my real, really second full year. So, yeah, I feel like there's a tremendous amount to learn. Um, but I do. Th- I, I also feel like it's such a privilege to be able to coach. Um, when I played, I loved to play and I love to compete, but it really didn't benefit anyone other than perhaps me and my family. Right. Um, wasn't doing anything for anybody really other than pursuing something I really enjoyed, you know. Um, and it, teaching I really enjoy, but this is much more meaningful to me. I mean, hopefully, hopefully I am helping somebody in some way as a coach and coaching definitely gives you the opportunity to do that. Take us through this year's group, um, if you wouldn't mind, real quick. And I know we have a big test coming up with with the CAA championships next week. But um, this is now, like you said, it's been four years. So this is primarily a roster of kids that you've recruited and brought in, um, with the exception of maybe Eric, I think, was was recruited by Dennis Shea. But yeah. um, but everybody else is, is your guys. So um, take us through this group and, and what, what you see out of this, uh, this lineup you have. Well... Eric and Matt McCormick, Matt walked on four years ago, and he's done well. You know, he, um, he gradu- con- consistently has improved through his four years. And a year ago was our best tournament at Bucknell. Where we lost by four shots. We were right in until the very end. Jami won, and Matt was a contributor there. Um, so Matt was good enough to walk on and consistently improved. Eric was was a good player coming in, and Eric has pretty much been the best player, you know, I'd say the last two years. Very consistent. Very He has got a great demeanor on the golf course. Um, never gets flustered, but and a very consistent player. Travis Dix, who I recruited. Travis is a junior now, and he's consistently improved. He had a really good fall this past fall. Again, it doesn't surprise me. Um, the only surprise is that he hadn't played better earlier, his first two years, but um, he's been playing consistently well. And then Colt Ingram and Colin McCullough, they've been doing well. Colin's played very well. Um, came in as a freshman, similar to Ethan, really just hits a lot of good shots, very consistent player. And um, Colt has improved as well. He loves the weight room. He hits it far. (laughs) (laughs) Got to have one guy like that, right? (laughs) Right. Blast the ball to take. (laughs) And um, Ethan Lee and Alex Dalman with two freshmen. They both have great attitudes. Um, Alex hits it pretty far, and part of the challenge with that is learning to control your distance. You know, he just... um, he just every now and then, you know, he might hit a 7170, but it, sometimes it goes 190, which is, you know, it's nice on the driving range, but it doesn't work real well in the golf course. So 
trying to tame that a little bit, but he's, he's got a great attitude and approach to the game, as Ethan does too. So this this weekend, your last kind of tune-up before uh, CAA uh, out in Eastern PA, um, what's, you know, what is that tournament kind of, what are you looking for out of that tournament? Who are you guys playing against? And uh, obviously you don't want to look past any competition, but I'm sure the guys are really kind of gearing up for, you know, two weeks from now when they at the CAAs. Yeah. So Lafayette hosts this tournament and um, I think we have 12 teams there and it's pretty much who we typically play against. Hofstra will be there. Um, Siena, Fairfield, all those teams. Um, what do I look for? I mean, pretty much, you know, one of the things I talked to the about with the guys, which I think is a real challenge for everyone in the world these days, is being present, doing what we're doing at the moment. You know, life is so distracting, I feel, with the telephone. I know my life has become, I'm much more distracted than I used to be. Um, but for them, you know, the school, they've got that phone. And to be able to just pay attention to each shot they're hitting, I mean, ultimately that's the goal regardless of where we're playing. So the best way to prepare for conference would be do our very best we can today when we go practice. You know, when they're over that golf ball, be paying attention to hitting that golf ball. And when, we, when we get to Lafayette, where, you know, wherever we are, Northampton Country Club, pay attention to hitting that golf ball at that moment and, you know, add them up at the end and learn from our mistakes and just go forward from there. Um, we'd love to take a, take a step backwards. I know we touched a little bit on your professional career, but um, that's a big part of, of your life in golf, right, is your professional career on on tour. Um, and I think that's something a lot of people are probably curious about. Um, you, you probably got to see some real um, – awesome things in the world of golf and in your playing career. Um, a weekend like the Masters where everybody in the golf world kind of you know looks forward to, right? It's it's a major championship and it's a, a weekend that everybody really enjoys. Um, to, every year around April, does that start to bring back some memories of, of the Masters tournaments you, you played in back in the day? Sure. And um, I don't usually – I enjoy watching golf. I can't watch it for four hours, but I could watch it for an hour or two and, you know, go back and forth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's – it's uh, the Masters to me wasn't the holy grail it is to – I think it is to most tour players. Um, to me, it was the U.S. Open, and, and that might be why I had some luck in the Masters and not the U.S. Open. I might have tried too hard at the U.S. Open. Um, it is a little bit different style of golf, but, um, yeah, it's a special place. Uh, you know, Sam Snead was there when I was there. You know, to get to see people like that is really cool. And um, just being there, other players, you know, I'd heard that from other players, you know, saying that, you know, everything was everything they put into it was worth being there, you know. And, and uh, yeah, it's a special place. It's electric. I mean, me and my friend Mike Donald, we had breakfast Monday morning at 6 a.m. was our first Masters for the two of us. And we walked out 7 a.m. They'd opened up that gate, and people looked. They were just overjoyed, and it felt like Sunday at 2 p.m. It was just electric. <laughs> and um, That's cool. That never went away. Thank, thank God, you know, my wife and our first child were with me. And um, my, my dad and brother were as well and sister. But um, our son was about five months old. So, you know, I got to, I never played before 2 p.m. I was the last group on Thursday. 
and they repair it every, every round, which is unusual. But anyway, you know, you wake up at eight, eight o'clock in the morning, you're wired, you know, yeah. and you got to wait around. So having my son, Kevin, in the stroller, taking him for a long walk and talking his ear off was uh, a big, you know, helpful for me. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, just looking at, you know, reading through your bio and looking at some of the names that, that you've competed with and against, I think, would blow people away. You know, Tom Watson, Jack Nicholas, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, was the U.S. Open your favorite major to play? Yeah, definitely. To me, um, the Masters and Invitational, which is great. I mean, it's, they're all unique in their mm -hmm. own way, right? The Masters is an Invitational, but the U.S. Open is open. If you can play golf, if you're a two or better, two handicap or better, you have a shot at it. Which I just, I think that's really cool that everybody right. has a chance. And typically every year there's somebody that kind of comes seemingly from nowhere and has, you know, a pretty good tournament or um, does fairly well. So to me, for that reason, and also, I mean, Augusta National is a great golf course. Everybody loves it, you know. But the Open also plays, at least back then, nothing but great golf course. We were playing the best course in the country in the di most difficult conditions. So I think I think it was the hardest tournament to win. I think it was just sometimes too difficult. Sometimes they go overboard in the open. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's hard as nails, you know, and if, if you have a weakness, it's going to be exposed there. Well, I'm curious about that as a, as a golf fan. Is that a real thing that – that is talked about on tour with U.S. Opens. I mean, it's, it's a topic among fans and media, like, oh, look at the rough this year, or look how fast the greens are, or et cetera, et cetera. Is that a real, when you get out there, you're like, wow, they made this course really hard this week? Yeah, I think um, I watched the U.S. Open in 1974. I was a senior in, in college, and I ran up there to winged foot, and there was a book written about the massacre at winged foot. Seven over yep. Paul won the yep. tournament, and... and uh, which would you, never happen these days. Yeah, you have to say that was overboard, you know. Um, the Pebble, the tournament, the Open at Pebble Beach, uh, Tom Kite won. A couple of guys, you know, shot 86 and 88. I mean, when that's happening, that's too much. And, right. And at Chinnacock, the one year they, they almost lost or maybe did lose some of the greens afterwards. They, the one par three, number seven, nobody was hitting the green. So if a tour player can't get the ball on the green, if he can't get on the green coming out of a bunker, <laughs> something's wrong. Right. So uh, just for, I mean, not everybody that listens to this show is going to be a golf fan. When you talk about them making the course more difficult, kind of explain that. I mean, Gary and I obviously know, he actually just mentioned, you know, letting, you know, cutting the rough long, cutting the greens down. Yeah. Uh, what other, what other things can they do that people probably, you know, myself included that go out and hit at, whatever local golf course, they're not doing those things. They're not placing the pin on the back going down. So it makes it harder to, to putt. Like what other things do golf courses do to, to up the level of, of challenge? It's not just about being 590 yard, you know, par fours or whatever crazy stuff they come up with. Yeah. Mainly it would be the, the rough is one thing, you know, they could grow the rough up, you know, six inches or so, so that you're wedging the ball coming out. So it's like, about a half a shot penalty. Um, but then the greens, you know, the speed of the greens is another thing, right? So you get the greens a lot faster. I mean, the greens in the U.S. Open and Augusta um, are the fastest greens a tour player is going to play all year. Mm -hmm. you know? 
second U.S. Open I played was at Pebble Beach, and and uh, this guy George Burns shot. I think he shot four under on the front nine, and I thought you could put my ball ten feet away from the hole on all nine holes, <laughs> and I couldn't shoot even par, you know, because <laughs> the greens they're slopey there as they are in any open course, but they get them so fast, and then they get them hard, and when they're hard, um, sometimes you just can't. Land the ball on the green and keep it on the green. Right, you your approach it. or your wedges are just yeah. You could take it off. Really good shot, but it's just going to bounce over the green, you know. So it, at that point, it's a bit too much. But that that's rare. It rarely happens. But they they do push it to the edge. <laughs> What's uh, the best U.S. Open course you played? Well, I'd, in your I'd, opinion, of I'd course. have to say three. I'd have to say Pebble Beach, Shinnecock, and Winged Foot. You know, those are. Probably three of my favorite courses, but yeah, those three places are awesome. Uh, so, uh, as a kind of a follow up, do you have one golf course that that if I said to you tomorrow, Bill, we're going anywhere and we're playing golf, uh, where would what course is that for you? That would probably be Pebble Beach. For some reason, I don't think of Augusta that much when I think of this, but I mean Augusta would have to be right up there. It's Really beautiful and in incredible condition, but it's kind of wider. I kind of like narrow type golf courses, and Pebble is just you know spectacularly beautiful. And I would also say, if it was in the middle of Iowa, it would still be a great golf course. Right, but being in Pebble Beach doesn't hurt it too much. Yeah, yeah. Pebble, I went to Pebble Beach a couple years ago. It's in, it's incredible. It's yeah. uh, I love it out there. Um, do you? follow much professional golf these days and and if so or even if not um you know what what have, has the shift um that you've seen maybe since your playing days in the professional golf world is it um guys just hit the ball so far now that it has changed the game um or or is there something else that kind of comes to mind well i don't follow it that closely just because i'm busy um i i would i would follow it closer if i had more time um they do hit it. They hit it way further. Um, there was a statistic that Fred Couples was sitting at thirty yards further thirty years later. When he was twenty-four, he hit a certain distance. When he was fifty-four, he was thirty yards longer. Um, obviously, it's technology. Um, now the guys today are working out way more than we did when I first started. I would say twenty percent of the guys on tour worked out when I finished. And. Uh, 95, I'd say 80% of the guys are working out. Now I'd say 99% are. Do they swing faster than we used to? I, I, From what I understand, the average swing speed has increased two miles an hour, which would be about six yards max. Um, so you think it's the equipment, the, the balls and the, and the clubs are technology's <coughs> improved to that point? Yeah, the balls, the clubs... And they cut the fairways a lot shorter. So if you if you get a hold downhill, just a little, and as short as they cut the fairways now, the ball's going to run out a lot further too. So personally, I think it's a shame because it's really only at that level. I mean, there's, there's the occasional person around town that can, you know, hit at 320. Um, but it's really the elite golf, whether it's a college level, high amateur level, or tour level. And they just have to stretch the courses out so far. So there's, <laughs> right. there's talk now about shrinking the ball, and I think I I think they should definitely shrink it. So you're on board with that? Yeah, that's definitely. a big topic these days. I think it takes. I think it's taken away from the skill. I mean, basically they're hitting it as hard as they can, and 
and the irons are better. You could spin the ball out of the rough better than used to when I was playing. The grooves weren't as good back then. So mm. back then you'd hit flyers and you couldn't you couldn't control the ball. But now they could just hit it however far they hit it in the rough, and they could hit an eight iron out of the rough and control it pretty well. Well, that's kind of the argument, right? Is is it used to be two eighty down the middle, and you're in the fairway, and you could really go after a pin. Now it's like. Well, whatever. I'm three thirty, and if I'm in the rough, I'm in the rough. Like I can still right. get a wedge under this ball and get close. Like yeah. So I, I'm just gonna try to hit it as far as I can. <laughs> yeah. And to train, you know, if you're if you're a young golfer as a teacher to to uh, work with a young golfer, you'd have to seriously consider physical training for distance right now. Well, that's what you were saying about one of your freshmen earlier, one of your players earlier. Just uh, actually, I think you were talking about um, one of your cool. sophomores, but just wants to hit the ball really far. How do you? Kind of dial that big back in and say, like, listen, I know you were watching the Masters all week, um, <laughs> but we're going to try to put the ball in the fairway. Yeah. Well, we got to go through our rounds, right, and see where see where we've made the, the birdies and see where we've made the bogeys or worse and uh, try and learn from that, you know, because there's a time, time to fold them and a time to hold them, you know. <laughs> and that's, so, that's just part of learning how to play golf, too. I mean, I, our guys are, are very talented, and, and, and I tell them that. But, you know, we have to put the time in, and and it takes a long time to learn how to play golf. Yeah, I mean, there, there's people who play their whole life and are always kind of working at it. Uh, you know, winding down here, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. You, you have practice to get to. But uh, I, th- I think where we're located, and I've lived in, you know, four other areas in my life, we're pretty blessed because there's some pretty, pretty nice courses within an hour of Monmouth University. Um, am I right on there, or, or what do you think? Like, I think within an if you did an hour, let's even say ninety minute radius of of where we're sitting right now, there are some pretty awesome courses that you can play um, open to the public. You don't have to be necessarily a member of. Yeah, there's very the county courses here are very good. As Gary can attest, Bayonne Country Club is... I play some people. <laughs> we got to get back out there. We got to schedule that up again. We'll bring Greg next time. <laughs> there is... Um, I can always tell when, when Gary texts me, like, hey, I'm not going to be in the office tomorrow. and be like, oh, Coach Britton, we're, we're going to go play ball. I'm like, man, now I know why he loves being in the golf contact so much. He- Bayonne was, was awesome. Um, I didn't play particularly well. Um, I think that was at the end of the COVID year. I actually been playing a lot of golf, but... Um, Really spectacular course and a good, great experience for me, who's a slouch golfer, but a good experience for our, for our kids too to yeah. to play at a high level course like that. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think I think golf has a funny way of, um, like I don't know. Last time we played, we went out, or maybe it wasn't even us. It might have been the last time I played over at Jumping Brook with with Jeff Stapleton, a couple other people. It's like you know whatever. I take a hundred shots, and. 90 of them for me are what I would consider absolute crap. And then 10 of them, I'm like, man, I love this game. <laughs> and it's like, it's that ratio, right? Like just, first of all, taking less swings, but, but the, getting the ratio of, I love this games to this is absolute crap down there is like really kind of what draws people in. And, and much like my father did to me, I have dragged my, my son into it. So uh, last night we got out to the driving range. I got home a little bit earlier. My daughter had like six girls over the house. I said, Throw the clubs in the trunk. We're, we're getting out of here. I can't sit here. My wife's like, where are you going? I was like, we're going to the driving range for an hour. I'll see you. But, um, but I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited about the, the opportunities that are, there are in the area to play golf. 
Uh, and, and I think you do a really good job of exposing our student athletes to, I mean, obviously our student athletes come in that, you know, most of these kids have played in a lot of great courses, but uh, exposing them to a lot of different golf courses, not, not only just in, in tournaments, but even, you know, play at deal, you know, play over at Trump national. Like Gary just said, Bayonne country club, like uh, how important is that for you to kind of get them out to different places? Um, well, to me, it's more about, the daily grind, <laughs> if that's the right word. I mean, more, to me, it's more about practice. But we've done some of that at the at the end of the fall season where we've reached out to a couple of places in the area, Mountain Ridge, last fall, beautiful place. Uh, I've been to Bayonne a couple of times. So um, the kids really enjoy that. So it's kind of like an end-of-the-season thing. Like a reward. Yeah, they're more relaxed at that point, you know. Um, and it's a little bit more of a drive, but but. F- you're right. You know, we're very fortunate. Deals within 10 minutes of here, and Coach Shea established that relationship a long time ago. It's been about 30 years we've been there. And I work at Trump and Colts next. We get over there some, and we've been able to get it to uh, Eagle Oaks. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those are three courses that people pay a lot of money to be able to play. Yeah. And, it's awesome. I just think it's it's a, a really good um, – or just a really good – you know, my father said to me in high school, you know, when football season was over, he's like – you know, you should really try to play in the golf team. I said, no, nah, it's just something we do every once in a while. And he said, I don't understand. People pay to play, and you'll have the opportunity to practice and then play. And I just I didn't listen to him, and I think it's the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever done. Well, I've done a lot of stupid things, but, but sure. that's in, like, probably the top 20 at least. <laughs> so, uh, Coach Britton, thank you so much. Uh, spending time with us, sharing your thoughts on the program, Looking a little bit, we could sit here and talk about you playing professional golf probably for the next hour, and maybe we will one day. I know you get tired of talking about yourself, but um, really is a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, looking forward to what the what the boys do this weekend, and and then obviously next weekend in the CAs. Yeah, we're looking forward to the next couple of weeks, and thank you. It was fun. Thanks, coach. Appreciate it. Uh, Gary and I will be back. We'll, we'll run a quick breakdown on kind of things that are going on around the athletic department. Uh, and then we'll get ready. Uh, maybe we'll tease the, the big episode 50 guest. Uh, thanks, Coach Britton. We'll be back. Edison Heating and Cooling provides full HVAC services to businesses and residents in Central Jersey. Visit EdisonHVAC.com to schedule your repair or installation today. Um, Gary loves the live read because I always put my two cents in. It's hot out. It's like 81 degrees. My wife yesterday was like, oh, it's going to be pretty hot, like hinting towards putting on the air. I'm cheap. We don't have solar panels. I told her no. But if I did have solar panels or I wasn't cheap. Maybe you'd call Edison HVAC. I'd be calling Edison HVAC to make sure. You know, you don't know what kind of chemicals you're pumping into your house. you got the kids and everything. So I'm an air conditioner guy. Uh, I have that pumping almost every day of the year. Sure. I, I Do you pay your electric bill at your place? Yeah. You're... you're I don't leave it on for like 10 hours at a time. I'll throw it on for like a little bit. Right, cool. With that, like man. like last night, was not being able to fall asleep without the light. It's <laughs> wild. I just opened the windows. But then the people in my house have allergies. It's a whole issue. You know how you can skip all of that nonsense? Call Edison, Edison HVAC, HVAC. Get your stuff serviced and don't be cheap. And then you can turn on your air. Everybody's happy. Happy wife. Happy life. 
happy. I don't. I don't want to just say wife. Happy anything. Happy life. Happy you. Happy. You don't have a wife. You need to be nice and cool down. Have that air conditioning going. The, the ocean water is about fifty-one degrees, so you can't even go Godzilla right now. You keep yourself right into right into hypothermia. Be, going to be too cold for me. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. Call him. Well, follow that up. Um, in the spirit of today's uh, podcast guest, tell everybody about Tita Green, New Jersey's finest indoor golf training center, recreational facility now open in West Long Branch. 12,000 foot square foot facility consisting of eight track main golf simulators, huge short game area for putting, chipping, pitching, lounges, a pro shop, and a custom fitting room. Also at Tita Green, you can get club repairs, regripping, and have regular on site fittings with all of the top manufacturers. Located at 185 Route 36, back by the old Kmart over there. Uh, it's in the Monmouth Park Corporate Center in the same building as the Monmouth University Graduate Center. You can check them out, t2green.com, Instagram, t2greengolfnj, that's the number two. So t, the number two, green golf and J. Discounts available for the Monmouth community. Coach Britton was talking about Tita Green, how he has the team over there working on their game, getting ready for the CAA championships. Work on your game. The weather is finally turning. You'll be outside playing golf every weekend before you know it. Um, get over to Tita Green and uh, work on your game and get it better so that you're not embarrassed when you go out on the course with your friends. Yeah, that that's a big one. And like we said, went, I went to the driving range yesterday and just Slay City. So it'd be great if I can maybe turn my body 90 degrees and just make sure nobody was like 100 yards in front of me and then get the left-hand slice and it would be okay. But or I can just go to Tita Green and use the track man and they can say, hey, spin, Mm -hmm. you know, turn your club face. Right. Keep your hands fat. Whatever. It might tell you that. that. It could. It probably should. It might. Yeah. It won't, though. (laughs) Anyway, get over there. I mean, this was a whole Tita Green commercial today, but honestly, I can't say enough about the guys. Tom, who who will be the first guy you see when you walk in there, is is truly awesome. Really one one of the nicest guys. So uh, support the corporate sponsors here of Hoff Talk if you love Hoff Talk. Um, if you don't love it, you should support them. And if you don't love it, I don't know what you're listening to it for. Um, Monmouth Athletics, Spring Sports, Full Tilt. Full Tilt. Full Tilt. Um, got the boy, what do they call it? The Boys of Summer are here this weekend? Mm. Baseball, is that they call yeah. Boys of Summer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the Cougars. Cougars, good. Cal- Charles, Charles, good. good ball club. Um, but the bats look, have been going. Look, listen, we score a lot of runs. Scored a lot of runs. Scored 11 runs against Princeton yesterday in a, in a tough loss. But a um, little Hawks in the pros news, Greg, on a couple different sports, I think, we need to get into. Uh, um, I, I saw Trey Dombrowski, former podcast guest, um, made his seven pro debut. Strikeouts? Seven strikeouts. What team is that? Uh, the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. Fayetteville Woodpeckers. That's North Carolina. Okay. Fayetteville. I saw seven strikeouts last night. That's awesome. Seven strikeouts for Trey in his, in his pro debut. Um, there's some some highlights we retweeted up on uh, on Twitter, so you can go check those out. But but first uh, professional appearance in, in a ball for Trey Dombrowski, um, and then football the um, USFL, USFL firing it up. Uh, first professional football game I ever went to. My mom brought me to a New Jersey Generals game. Wow. Yeah. I think I ever knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, up at the Meadowlands when they used to have like the the red state of New Jersey. The best. It looked like a the best. Basically, looked like a dime. They should put that back on. Right, looked like a dime in the middle of the field. They should put that back on. But the NFL probably loves the NFL logo. I love the NFL logo as well. Yeah, Mark does too because he's got a whole shirt of it. Anyhow, uh, New Jersey Generals. Fast forward. Uh, I was probably like nine. 
fast forward at 30, whatever years, uh, USFL is back and they are in on Hawks and the pros. Uh, we got a graphic ready to rock. That'll tell you who's playing where, uh, when you should tune in, what channels you should tune in. I mean, we've done everything for you on Sunday to be able to follow our five or four players that are in the USFL. One got, coach. One coach, too. Christian Ronza, play, linebackers coach for the Michigan Panthers. Uh, he is playing against Kenji Bahar of the Houston Gamblers. Awesome name for a team, by the QB. way. QB. Actually, have a, I have a Houston Gambler shirt from like 20 years ago. Wow. It doesn't fit. <laughs> it's white. It's awesome. I'll have to dig it out, maybe force myself into it, and maybe take a selfie with it just to support my guy, Kenji. Uh, yeah, Houston Gamblers, um, Kenji Bahar, just slinging a ball, named him QB1. That's awesome. And then you got to be a Breakers fan if you're a Hawks fan because uh, the New Orleans Breakers – I spent a lot of time on their Twitter feed yesterday. Uh, Pete Guerrero, running back, and uh, Matt White, kicker slash punter. Uh, I had a scout actually tell me that he is probably the best punter in the league. Uh, that was like, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago at football practice. We were talking about it. So um, Sunday, all those games are on Sunday. I don't know what you're doing. Last weekend, you spent time with your family uh, on Easter. You probably can't if you went to Easter. Uh, you probably can't stand them. Um, you want to go out, maybe go to TD green in the morning, work on your golf green. So you don't look like you stink in front of your friends. Like I do in front of Gary and Pina, uh, and then go watch the USFL and flip around. I, I got the new thing with the Fios. I think I can watch two games at once. So hopefully I'll be able to watch all some of those guys and, and, and I'll probably root for it. I'm sorry, Runza. I'm rooting for Kenji to light up your defense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I hope maybe their linebackers have like, like a bunch of tackles in the run game. Sure. Uh, yeah. I want a lot of second and third and long so Kenji can uncork it. Uh, last year, I got to be honest, the offensive line was horrid. We, sh- we should have sent the Hawks offensive line up there. Kenji running for his life. He had like 500 and something yards and two touchdowns because he had to run like a wild animal away from people just no blocking. So hopefully we worked on that this year. Uh, they've had a lot more time to practice. Um, can we circle back to baseball real quickly? Yeah. And We only have a couple more minutes, but... Uh, pitch clock this year. Thoughts on it? Good? Bad? Uh, midweek, it doesn't seem to matter because they uh, last four and a so half it's, hours. So it's, anyway. it's weird. Like, if you're a Major League Baseball fan, you've been watching the first couple weeks, they have the clock on the on the, in the stadium, multiple spots. They have it on the score bug. College baseball has not yet adopted the public pitch clock. It's mandatory next year. But so here, here in West Long Branch, we'll using the, well, the clock's out, but they're still using it. It's kind of bizarre to me um, how, how you could be a pitcher and not know how much time you have. Um, but they have instituted it. I think it's a good change once we actually put the clocks in. Um, does not help midweeks go any faster. Um, it does not, truthfully. Not not when a midweek game has like 35 combined runs. No, it. we've played three midweeks this year here in West Long Branch. All of them have seen both teams score more than 10 runs. Um, there's been lots of, lots of offense. If you're a fan of offense, West Long Branch is the place to be. This is where you want to be. Yeah. It's been fun to watch guys just cranking shots all over the place. Yep. Uh, I have not a huge professional baseball guy. I think the pitch clock is something that I've been talking about for years. I got to be the first one to admit, T-ball was as far as I went. in. Ba- no, nah, I guess like coach pitch was as far as I went in baseball. Um, so when I sit there as a guy who has never played at any kind of a, a level, 
criticizing the step out of the box, undo your, no, undo it was, it was your too little. Much. It got to a point of being too much. I got to touch 46 parts of the plate. I got to you yeah, know, got rub my too hat much. and all the other crap. What they're doing now is good. There's a good rhythm to it. There's good mm-hmm. flow. They are enforcing it. Um, I think it's it's been good for the for the professional game. And I'm old school. I hate change. I'm not a, I'm not like change in, in any part of my life. So um, it's been good. The uh, the pitch clock has been good, and I think it'll be good in college once they actually do it the right way. They tried to put it in this year, controlled by the umpires, mm-hmm. which is fine until you have a pitcher who doesn't realize how much time there is on the clock. What do you get? Twenty seconds? Uh, I believe so. Um, and we've only had. Really, one or two inches of it, of it here at Monmouth. Um, so, will you get a ball? Yeah, or a strike if you're a batter and you're out, out for too long. Oh, so if you're doing all the nonsense, if you're not ready by eight seconds. If you're not ready by eight seconds on the clock, you get a strike. I like that. I like what they they had to do something because people, traditionalists will tell you like you know this isn't the game, blah blah blah. But you got to understand the, the fan bases from 1935. In nineteen in earlier when it was America's pastime, to now have changed a hundred. And the game degrees. back then was was as fast as they'd want it to become now. The, Is it? Was it it, it? it it was never all this nonsense. Now it's become so much right. Just stepping off and stepping out of the box, and they needed to get rid of that. It was too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we're at. Well, I'm glad. Come down, uh, great some great baseball this weekend. Uh, it's really the only thing at home this weekend, I think. I, you know, I've got a football scrimmage, but other than that, um, just come down, watch the West Long Branch Nine. Uh, next weekend, we have some big stuff planned. Uh, the football spring game is on Sunday. We've got uh, lacrosse doubleheader and I believe softball on the twenty second, Saturday the twenty second. Um, so come on out and watch that. A uh, lot of great opportunity to to play some. Watch us play some CAA teams, and uh, as we start winding down here, uh, a couple of things I want to touch on before we're out of here. Uh, Jaden Sheridan, our All-American running back, uh, if you haven't read it yet, uh, I think you should go and, and read Steve Edelson's article in the Asbury Park Press. Uh, he did a, a really, really outstanding job um, just answering questions about the portal and why he decided not to transfer, uh, because I'm telling you right now, he could have, um, but there's something to be said for his responses in that article. Uh, he's a great kid to work with and uh, really looking forward to him being a major, major part of our offense again next year. Uh, but I wanted to throw a shout out for that article because I thought it was, um, I thought it was really well done. Agreed. Happy to have him. What else you got for us, Gary? Anything we get, we'll sign off for today. No, Islanders in the playoffs. We're all good. Islanders in the playoffs. We are all good. Uh, the devil's, our second seed in the East, I'm pretty sure. One game left tonight against the Capitals. Mm-hmm. Almost called them the Capitals. Mm-hmm. Uh, lo- loving. I'm trying to get back into hockey like I was like 15 years ago. Playoffs are going to be great. You're about to get the Rangers in the first round. Yeah, which that is doesn't great. get you going. I yeah, don't know what will. Yeah, then nothing will because everybody knows nothing I hate more than, than New York sports. Um, and, I, and I can get a good hate for them. Although I don't have a hate for the Mets. I Well, you know what I do have a love for? Nacho Helmet. I think that's... That's where we end it. Hey, if anybody has <laughs> if anybody has had the nacho helmet at, at City Fields, can you let me know if it's good or not? Because uh, I might be going right up there to see nachos out of a baseball helmet. This has been a production.
production of the Monmouth Digital Network. Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast distribution sites, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Pandora, and more. All rights reserved. Talk is brought to you in part by the Monmouth Medical Center and RWJ Barnabas Health Facility and a recognized leader in patient safety and clinical quality. For more information about services close to you, visit rwjbh.org slash Let's be healthy together.